And so, praise the Lord. Psalms 22, verse 23 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Not cursed. Blessed. Blessed. This is a blessed nation. Amen. Let's talk about, I have actually maybe six questions for you tonight. First of all, what is National Day of Prayer? How many of you know what National Day of Prayer is? Okay, praise God, that's a few. Well, I have here this little calendar that we do for CIA. (laughs) And the CIA kids, they get it and it has different things that are designated on the calendar that are actually dates. Like, for example, save the rhino. (laughs) We have tuba day, bird day, frog jumping day, astronomy day, chocolate chip cookie day. There could be ice cream day, waitresses day. There's all kinds of days. And we encourage the kids to get involved in these days with their families. So when you see this, that's what it's for. Try to do something in your home around that day and make it fun. Amen? Well, this calendar is for CIA, but National Day of Prayer is not just an ice cream day. (laughs) No, it's not just another day on our calendar. It's National Day of Prayer. Glory to God. National Day of Prayer is an annual day of observance designated by Congress for people to turn to God, humble themselves, come together, and to pray. It preceded the founding of our nation. So that's what National Day of Prayer is. Let's talk about when it was established. It was established by the Continental Congress, which proclaimed a setting, setting aside a day of prayer in 1775. And that's when they were seeking God in forming a new nation. They went to prayer about forming this nation. Then in 1952, Congress wrote a bill and it was signed into law by President Truman and it proclaimed and uh, it was actually proclaimed and amended in 1988 as it designated the first Thursday in May as National Day of Prayer. So every year, the first Thursday in May is National Day of Prayer. I want to read to you some things tonight. This is going to be some information coming forth. But it's very interesting. And it's from that time when the 111th Congress... Actually, I do need my glasses over here. The first session got together. Hang on. And this was May 4th, 2009... 111th Congress, first session, and here's the bill, H-R-E-S 397. And it says this, affirming the rich spiritual and religious history of our nation's founding and subsequent history and expressing support for designation of the first week in May as America's Spiritual Heritage Week. 
for appreciation of and education on America's history of religious faith. Whereas religious faith was not only important in official American life during the periods of discovery, exploration, colonization, and growth, but has also been acknowledged and incorporated into all three branches of the federal government from the very beginning. Whereas the Supreme Court of the United States affirmed this self-evident fact in a unanimous ruling declaring, this is a religious people. From the discovery of this continent to this present hour, there is a single voice making this affirmation. Here's the affirmation. Whereas political scientists have documented the most frequently cited source in the political period known as the founding era was the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Okay, I'm going to read some more. Can you take some more? Whereas the first act of America's first Congress in 1774 was to ask a minister to start with prayer and to lead Congress in the reading of four chapters of the Bible. Whereas throughout the American founding, Congress frequently appropriated money for ministries and for religious instruction, a practice that Congress repeated for decades after the passage of the Constitution and the First Amendment. Whereas Congress regularly attended church and divine service together in mass. Whereas four days after approving the declaration, the Liberty Bell was hung. The Liberty Bell was named for the political uh, inscription from Leviticus uh, 25.10 that's embossed around it. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants thereof. Glory to God. Whereas in 1782, Congress pursued a plan to print a Bible that would be a neatly edition of the Holy Scriptures for the use in schools. Whereas in 1783, Treaty of Paris that officially ended the revolution and established America as an independent begins with In the name of the most holy and undivided Trinity. Whereas in 1787 at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, Benjamin Franklin declared, God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire can rise without his aid. Without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building, no better than the builders of Babel. Have a few more. Whereas from 1787 to 1788, state uh, conventions to ratify the United States Constitution not only began with prayer, but even met in church buildings. Whereas in 1789, the first federal Congress, the Congress that framed the Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment, appropriated federal funds to pay chaplains to pray at the opening of all sessions. Whereas in 1789, on that same day, the Congress finished drafting the First Amendment 
It requested President Washington to declare a national day of prayer and thanksgiving, resulting in the first federal official thanksgiving proclamation. And here it was. Acknowledging Almighty God to obey... Okay, it is our duty. It's the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly employ His protection and favor. Glory to God. This is our heritage. Whereas in 1800, Congress enacted naval regulations requiring that divine service be performed twice every day aboard all ships and vessels in the Navy, with a sermon preached every Sunday. Whereas in 1800, Congress approved the use of just completed capital structure as a church building with divine services to be held each Sunday in the hall of the house. In the hall of the house. Why are we surprised at this? That's my question. Why are we surprised? Let me just read a few more. Whereas in 1853, Congress declared the congressional chaplains have a duty to conduct religious services weekly in the hall of the House of Representatives. Whereas in 1867... The church at the Capitol was the largest church in Washington, D.C. The church at the Capitol. Whereas in 1864, by law, Congress added, in God we trust, to our American coinage. Whereas in beginning in 1904 and continuing for half a century, the federal government printed and distributed the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth for the use of members of Congress because of the important teachings that it contained. Whereas in 1954, Congress by law added the phrase one nation under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. Whereas in 1954, a special congressional prayer room was added to the Capitol with a kneeling bench, an altar, and an open Bible, an inspiring stained glass window with George Washington kneeling in prayer, the declaration of Psalm 16:1, Perserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. And then the phrase, This nation under God displayed above the kneeling, prayerful Washington. Whereas in 1956, Congress by law made In God We Trust our national motto and added the phrase to our American currency. Whereas Thomas Jefferson urged local governments to make land available specifically for Christians' purposes, provided federal funding for missionary work among, Amer- among Indian tribes, and declared that religious schools should receive the patronage of the government. Whereas President Andrew Jackson declared that the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Whereas President Abraham Lincoln declared that the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. But for it, we could not know right from wrong. You know, when they took the Ten Commandments out of school, no longer do our children know right from wrong. A few more. These are good, aren't they? 
We need to know this. Whereas President William McKinley declared that our faith teaches us that we are no safer reliant, that there is no safer reliance than upon the God of our fathers. He has given us favor, the American people, in every national trial, every trial. And who will not forsake us? And so long as we obey his commandments and walk humbly in his footsteps. Whereas President Teddy Roosevelt declared the golden rule must stand as a foundation of every successful endeavor to better our social and political life. President Hubert, uh, Hubert, uh, Herbert Hubert, Hoover, (laughs) sorry, that's H.H., Um, declared that American life is built and can alone survive upon the fundamental philosophy announced by the Savior 19 centuries ago. Whereas President Franklin D. Roosevelt not only led the nation in a six-minute prayer during D-Day on June 6th, but he also declared, if we will not provide, if we we will not prepare to give all that we have, all that we have, we sang that song, and all that we are to preserve Christian civilization in our land, we will go to destruction. Whereas President Harry Truman declared the fundamental basis of this nation's law was given to Moses on the mount, the fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights comes from the teachings which we get from Exodus and St. Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. Whereas President Harry Truman told a group touring Washington, D.C., You will see as you make the rounds, this nation was established by men who believed in God. You will see the evidence of this deep religious faith on every hand. Whereas President Dwight D. Eisenhower declared that without God, there is no America form of government, nor an American way of life. President John F. Kennedy declared the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Whereas President Ronald Reagan, after noting the Congress of the United States in recognition of the unique contribution of the Bible in shaping the history and character of this nation and so many of its citizens, he declared in 1983 the year of the Bible. Whereas the United States, here's a good one, Supreme Court has declared throughout the course of our nation's history that the United States is a Christian country a Christian nation, a Christian people. Glory to God. Okay, two more. Whereas whereas images of the Ten Commandments are found in federal buildings across Washington, D.C., including the bronze in the floor of the National Archives, in a bronze statue of Moses in the main reading room of the Library of Congress, in numerous locations at the U.S. Supreme Court, They're there. You know, at the Jefferson Lincoln Memorials, you'll find acknowledgments of God and citations of Bible scriptures. And the Lincoln Memorial contains numerous acknowledgments of God and citations of the Bible verses, including the declaration that we are highly resolved that this nation under God shall not perish from this earth. Written in stone. Glory to God. Is it written in our hearts? Secular textbooks, folks, are endeavoring to rewrite history. 
We need to speak of these things to our children. We need to speak of these things and declare them to this generation. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, I know it's a lot of reading, but I have one more. It's not as long. It's just a paragraph. But this here is a proclamation. You know, a proclamation is something that proclaims publicly a declaration that is in law. And this was printed in the Columbian uh, Centennial. And this was done by John Adams. Okay? John Adams was our second president. I want you to get these things in your heart. These are things that we must carry. This is our heritage. Founded upon the B-I-B-L-E. Amen? The living word of God. Our founders were men of God. Glory to God. Here's the plot proclamation it says as the safety and prosperity of nations ultimately and essentially depend on the protection and blessing of almighty god and the national acknowledgement of this truth is not only an indispensable duty which the people owe to him but a duty whose natural influence is favorable to the promotion of that morality and piety without which social happiness cannot exist nor the blessings of a free government be enjoyed. Especially in seasons of difficulty and of danger, when existing or threatening calamities, the just judgments of God against prevalent iniquity are a loud call to repentance and reformation. Is there a call today for repentance? Hallelujah. And as the United States of America are at a present place in a hazardous and afflictive situation. You see, these things are not new. By the unfriendly disposition, conduct, and demands of a foreign power, I have therefore thought it fit to recommend that Wednesday, the ninth day of May, next be observed throughout the United States as a day of solemn humbleation, fasting, and prayer. That the citizens of these states, abstaining on that day from their customary worldly occupations, and offer their devout addresses to the Father of mercies. There's so much more. What a leader. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, I just believe our best days are ahead because we are a body. We are a large body. I mean, we're so much bigger than what we think we are in this earth. Glory to God. And God wants us to see it. He wants us to know it. He doesn't want this just to be another day on the calendar like Groundhog Day. Come on. Amen. Who pays attention to Groundhog Day? This is National Day of Prayer. And we've got to get involved. All over the nation, there's like 42,000 different places that are officially set up for people to come tomorrow to pray. And there's places like us. It's not official on a book, on a ledger. But it's official. (laughs) We're going to be here. We're going to show up. Hallelujah. We're going to do our part. Okay. 
Here's another question for you. Who should participate in National Day of Prayer? (laughs) Everybody. Our nation, one nation, one nation under God, indivisible. This is an opportunity for the power of unity. Amen? It's a power of united prayer. United prayer is so powerful to unite in oneness of heart, one mind, one purpose for the gospel's sake, and to get in agreement, to petition the Lord, to center on up what we agree upon and let the other stuff go. Centering up on the blood of Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. Doesn't that feel good? (laughs) Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. This is very familiar. If you could put that up there. It says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You know, God wants us to seek his face. And many times we find ourselves in difficulties because God wants us to seek his face, to have our dependency upon him, not upon the government, not upon another person, not upon your job and the salary you receive from it. He wants us to seek his face and his provision. And he says that when we do this, when we turn from our wicked ways, you know, a wicked way is not to seek God. Seeking your own way is wicked. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of it is what? It's death. The end of it is the absence of God's presence. Do you want to be in a place where there's an absence of God's presence? Then we've got to seek the Lord for his way. His way of doing and being. Amen. His higher thoughts. Glory to God. He says that when we do this, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and do what? Heal their land. Is there hope for our land? Yes, yes amen. Hallelujah. That's what love does. Love hopes. Love sees. Faith sees. Amen. Okay, here's another question. Who should participate? That's what we just asked a moment ago. I'm sorry. All ages, every generation. Abraham Lincoln put us in remembrance of the word of God. He said this. He said in Mark 3.24, he said, A kingdom divided against itself can not stand again we've got to put away some childish things folks we're not going to agree on every little thing we're not going to even agree on every big thing but you know what we've got to have a spirit of unity because the bible says that's when the power of god fails when they were in one accord the power fell And we wonder why we don't have more power in our nation. It's because we haven't put away childish things. We haven't agreed to center up on what we can agree upon. And, you know, agree to disagree on other things. Hallelujah. And seek the Lord. Amen. 
become one body, as Jesus prayed, that they may be one. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 43 in the Amplified. It says, and they steadfastly preserved devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and fellowship of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It says they were what? They were devoted. I love that word. You can't be devoted without passion. And God will give you a passion. He will stir your heart. You know how you stir up chili and all the good stuff's at the bottom? We've got to stir ourselves up. We've got to stir ourselves up in prayer. We've got to stir ourselves up by hearing these things. So that we can be what? Devoted. What were they devoted to? It says they were devoted to inspired teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to eating together. Sharing communion together. They were devoted in prayer. These are ingredients that the body of Christ needs for unity. If you bake a cake, you need what? Ingredients. If one of the ingredients is missing, the cake doesn't turn out so well. That is true when it comes to unity. You've got to have these things. That's why we have things like, you know, couple together, small group. We have emerge. We have focus. People coming together, knowing those that labor among them. We obviously have inspired teaching and preaching. You know, ask someone out to lunch. You know, have, ask another couple out if you're a couple. Maybe you don't know them, but hey, you need to get to know them. What do you think? Break communion, share communion together, and then come together for times of prayer. Hallelujah. Okay, another question. What, who, and how do we pray? Well, this year's theme is called Prayer for America. Prayer for America. It emphasizes his need for individuals to corporately come together and place their faith in an unfailing character of our creator who is sovereign over all governments, all authorities, and all men. I believe that the scripture that was chosen this year, it really highlights the theme And the theme scripture for this year is Matthew chapter 12 and verse 21. And it says, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Is there a greater time in history that we need to put our hope in God? We have a lot more people on planet Earth, don't we? (laughs) So there's a lot more need to put the God kind of hope who sees against all natural hope. It's the God kind of hope in a God who's going to do mighty things. The what and the who. Prayer will go up as in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Again, this is familiar to you. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, 
that supplications, notice the different types of prayer. Supplications, this says petitions, um, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may do what? Lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and it's acceptable in the sight of God who desires all men to be saved. God desires for every person to come to the saving knowledge of the truth. He desires every person to be saved. He's not trying to keep people out of heaven. He's trying to get people into heaven. Amen? Into the kingdom of God. Great is his mercy. And his blood never fails. How do we come? We got to come with confidence. We got to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive grace and what? Help in a time of need. We've got spiritual warfare going on, folks. But we wrestle not against human beings. We wrestle against spiritual beings. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We got to come in faith. We got to come believing. Amen. Hebrews tells us that through faith, through believing, the worlds were framed. We can frame some things with our faith and with our prayers. Okay, I have a little candy bar here. Pastor Tom, I know that you like chocolate. But you know what? Pastor Tom is one of the most disciplined people I know when it comes to his diet. He is just, he is an inspiration. But I'll tell you, when it's after a holiday, say like after the Christmas program, you better hide the chocolate. Because Pastor Tom loves himself some chocolate. And I'm telling you what, Pastor Tom, I'll bet if I came over and give you this nice little C's candy because the youth are selling it and it'll support the youth. And, you know, C's candy is really, really good. Wouldn't you just love this? Wouldn't you just love it? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to give it to you. You might have to beg a little. What do you think? Can you beg for it? How about, you know, kids that come up to you? I know your kids love gum. Please, 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 give me some gum, give me some gum. And you're, you don't know if you have it in the bottom of your purse somewhere. And I mean, they're just not going to leave you alone until you give them that gum. And that's how PT is when it comes to chocolate after the Christmas holiday. After the Christmas program, I mean, he's in every cover looking to stash up. That good chocolate that we got that people sent us. Amen. I'll tell you what. He is on pursuit. He is looking for it. He's coming with urgency. (laughs) Praise God. Let's look at Luke chapter 18 and verses 1 through 8 in the NIV. It says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice 
against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, like Pastor Tom and the chocolate, (laughs) uh, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, and the Lord said, listen, listen, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Now, this is a story that, you know, come on, faith church. He keeps coming and coming. He didn't just pray once. He didn't say, I believe I received. That's the prayer of faith. That's a prayer that we're supposed to pray. But in this case, he kept coming and coming and coming and coming and coming again. I believe there's one reason that Jesus shared this parable. Because he wanted to show that we should always pray and not give up. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. When evil threatens to overwhelm the church, guess what God does? He raises up a standard. Amen. When Jesus spoke to the disciples about the last days, he told them, he told them because of the iniquity shall abound. The love of many will wax cold. Because there's so much sin out there everywhere you look. Your heart can get cold. Your heart can get hardened. But he said, see that no man deceive you. See that you be not troubled. You know, I was telling Janie earlier today, if you ever watched Duck Dynasty, (laughs) the uncle would say, look at here, look at here. He was a redneck. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Look at here. Look at here. See that you don't be deceived. See that you don't be troubled. You know, it's easy to be troubled when you look around. You can be troubled. You turn on the news. Oh, my gosh. It can overwhelm you. It can get in your spirit. It can cause a spirit of fear. It could cause your heart to stoop and your head's looking down. And you're going, oh, my goodness. But Jesus said to do what? He said, beloved, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it to be afraid. Look up. You know what? This is not the Lord's first barbecue. He knows how to get her done. Yes, he does. You have to just get some things settled in your heart. You know, you got to settle some things. Have you ever gone through adversity and there's some things you have to settle? Here's what I found in those places. That when I contend to the point that I settle the matter in my heart, when it's settled, it gets settled outside. It gets settled in the natural realm. It gets settled out there. But again, it's that seeking place. It's that place of contending in prayer. It's that place sometimes of warfare. It's that place of declaring the word. It's that place of casting down imaginations. It's that place of settling some things once and for all so that you are fully persuaded in your heart about the matter. And it's amazing. 
Because when that happens, it gets settled in the natural realm. Have you noticed that? Amen. Hallelujah. So we're going to settle some things. We're not going to sit back. We're not going to say, oh, it is what it is. Sometimes I hate that statement. It is what it is. No, come on now. Watch our attitudes. You know, we got to call those things that be not as though they are. God has not fallen off the throne. He knows right where we're at in history. He knows everything that is going to happen. He nothing takes him by surprise. We just live in a time where it seems the belief of people is contrary to what God has said. We as Christians are persecuted. Seriously. Did you think 15 years ago Christians would be persecuted in this country? That there would be a war against Christmas and Easter? You know what the word persecuted is translated to mean? Literally mean? It means to make, to flee, or drive away. And that's what Satan's goal is, is to cause us to flee and drive us away from the things of God through persecution. Don't let it happen. Amen. Second Timothy 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 12, and the NIV says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. But we've got to stand our ground. We've got to not be moved by that. We've got to be joyful in hope. Patient in tribulation, faithful in prayer. See, the Lord patiently waits. He patiently waits for the fruit. Amen. The precious fruit of the earth. He's patient. Why? Because he thinks correctly. Amen. He doesn't get fearful about the future and try to live with today's grace in the future. Don't try to live in the future. Live in the present. Pray over the future. Amen? He patiently waits. But make no mistake, there is a day that is coming. There is a day that is coming. And we've got to work while there's still time. We've got to work and put our hand to the plow in harvest. We've got to contend in prayer. You've got to value your prayers. Because your prayers avail much. They make tremendous empowerment available. And it is dynamic in its working. Our pastors have taught us that powerful, purposeful prayer paves the way for the impossible to become what? Possible. Amen? What happens when we pray? As we close, I want to go over this real quickly. In Habakkuk 3, chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, Habakkuk was living in a terrible time. It was a very difficult time on earth. Terrible things were going on. But Habakkuk prayed. He went to the Lord and he said, Lord, revive your work. Revive your work right here in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known your mercy. Do we need mercy in this nation and in the earth today? Well, I love what verse 3 says. In verse 3 it says, well, he prayed in verse 2. And in verse 3 it says, God came. God came. He came in glory. And he covered the heavens. And he covered the earth. And it was full of his praise. 
When you have deliverance come, when you have revival come, praise comes. Praise arises. You know, I wanted to read some things to you about uh, Revival Fire, and I won't have time, but we have this book called Revival Fire inside our bookstore. And there is just tremendous things about, you know, the harvest in America when revival spread from Philadelphia to New Jersey. And it says that uh, no more than 50 unconverted people were reported to be remaining in a population of 60,000. It talks about um, how in 1905, on November 2nd, that uh, the stores and factories in Atlanta and offices, they would all close for noon prayer. The Supreme Court, even saloons closed so people could attend prayer meetings. Yeah, simultaneously, simultaneously, because there was revival. Meetings in Louisville, Kentucky, where there 1,500 inquirers and 1,000 joined the churches at one time. The press soon reported that the most remarkable revival ever known with 4,000 recorded conversions in the city. Praise God. 58 leading businesses, firms closed at noon for prayer meetings. This went on all over the country. 50,000 saved um, at a time. This was revival in our nation from coast to coast, border to border. These things happened in our nation. I say they're going to happen again. How about you? Tomorrow is National Day of Prayer. Will we observe um, a time to come together and pray? Now, on, uh, let's see, at 12 noon, um, the task force for National Day of Prayer, which is headed up by uh, Shirley Dobson, they're asking for everyone to come together at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time and to pray this prayer. And we printed one out for you. We're going to have the ushers hand them out to you tonight so that we're all praying the same thing at the same time, coast to coast, amen, that there would be a wave of prayer. It's going to be telecast. Um, DirecTV is going to have it. Let's see, on channel, I'm trying to see what channel it is. 365, or you can go online under www.nationaldayofprayer.org, and you can start watching at our time, six in the morning, and they'll, it's like three hours that they'll have coverage in Washington, D.C., where they're praying, and you can just be part of that in the spirit, amen? So at nine o'clock in the morning, which would be 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, if you just pray this prayer, you're going to get in with millions of people in this nation praying for this nation hallelujah that's that's going to be powerful very very powerful so we have copies for you on that we're uniting together amen to bring about the plan will and purpose of god i have a story i want to read to you when we close there's a story about a young girl who wrote a letter to a missionary it was a prayer letter and she was trying to lend her support to the missionary um, evidently she had been told not to request a response to her letter because the missionaries were very busy. So the missionary laughed after reading her letter. It said, dear Mr. Missionary, we are praying for you, but we do not expect an answer. <laughs> Let us expect results and answers from our prayers when we pray and we petition the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. 
Father, we just thank you. We thank you so much that we stand in this time in history. It is a time where men are choosing. They're choosing between right and wrong. Blessing and cursing. Life and death. Lord, may we choose life. That we may live. And our seed. Father, we just lift up this nation. Its leaders from the president to the governors, to the Congress, to the representatives, to Lord, the senators, to the principals, to the superintendents of our school districts, to our teachers, to the medical response people, Lord, the first responders, to our police. To our firemen, to those serving in military on the front lines, Lord. We just pray for this nation. And we thank you that this nation was established on your principles of the word of God, Lord. And your word does not return void. But it accomplishes that which you please. And it does prosper in the places to which you send it. Hallelujah. You know, that just came up in my spirit. It was founded on godly principles. There's scripture. And God's word does not return void. It's going to accomplish his plan, his will, his purpose for this nation. In Jesus' name.